Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of How To Be Sound, the podcast where I, journalist and writer Rosemary McCabe, talk to people who I think have decent lessons to share with us on how to be sounder in life in general. This is a bit of a delayed episode. I know there's been a few weeks since my last episode because I'm now in the United States of America, living in my sister's house and swimming in her pool and having a really terrible time, so don't feel bad about it. But I'm back today with a real sounder thinking about that earlier real sounder so I'm joined by Kate Brennan Harding who is a radio producer and DJ based in Dublin Kate thank you so much for taking the time to come on how to be sound thank you for asking me do you know what we should have said we should have said how we met well this is have you have you never listened to my podcast because this is usually what I do with my guests yes I have but I'm like so you know weightlifting straight away (laughs) so yeah tell tell me about your your memories from the first time we met Okay, so my memories were I was really nervous because I was going to do weightlifting for the first time and you were my trainer and you came in and you were like, okay, so this is what we're going to do. We had a little chat through everything and you were so sound and it was brilliant and I immediately felt comfortable and then I did want to, you know, strangle you at some stage when I was doing that rope thing, which I hated. Oh, Um, battle ropes. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. No, they're the worst things in the world. Um, And we, through all the weightlifting, very quickly, I think we should have recorded all of those sessions like a podcast because we put the world to rights immediately. Oh my God, we really did. That actually, you know what, you're not the first person who has said that and you're not the first person that has occurred, like the first client that has occurred to me with. There is something about the, maybe the discomfort or the vulnerability you experience when you're doing something that's so out of your comfort zone that you Mm. do end up opening up in a really unexpected way I think well I absolutely I mean I know myself I'm blunt or upfront or sort of say things that a lot a lot of people would not normally say straight away when they meet people but also I just found you quite like easygoing you were like "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm and then you'd say something and it was usually I I can't even remember what our conversations were but you it would be primarily feminism and I would be like now I think you're wrong about that and you'd be like well I think you're wrong about this we would just have these (laughs) really great conversations and then meanwhile I'd be like you'd be then suddenly you've just lifted x amount weight I'm like have I because you were distracting me which was brilliant yeah 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 I mean not on purpose I'm sure I did have clients who were like would you ever shut up I'm trying to concentrate oh yeah no I think we got completely distracted sometimes just chatting which was great I also love like I don't know what our conversations were about like primarily feminism which would be (laughs) 99% of my conversations with everyone (laughs) I know I think but there was something political oh god um was the repeal the eighth happening I think that was happening. Yeah, I think that was. And I think that, you know, obviously I used to be working in radio. I'll be back working in radio very soon because I'm no longer working in the station that I was in. I think, you know, you had been on as a guest a few times on a different station. And we were like talking about how chaotic it was for media in terms of having to have a balanced report. And actually the voices that were getting heard were not necessarily representative of the people. And we went down a big rabbit hole, I think, one day talking about that. Mm-mm. Yeah, I suppose like the difference between our kind of definitions of balance and mm-hmm. how Irish media interprets balance to mean both sides, even if one side is completely and entirely wrong. Yeah, 
completely. Tell me about your career in, in radio then. How did you get into radio in Dublin? Because I know, I mean, I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. that you didn't necessarily go the traditional route of, I studied broad- broadcasting, I got an internship. You know, you didn't do it step by step like that. No, I didn't. Uh, I, I went basically at a completely differently, like, you know, I suppose background is that years and years ago when I went to college, I went to college to Trinity and did theological and biblical studies, which really did not match what? with being a giant lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was coming out around the same time. And to be fair, I did biblical and theological studies because I wanted to get into Trinity and the points weren't as high. And you could transfer in second year to do, say, history and English or his- you'd still have to keep the theology side of it. And I fancied being a teacher, but I fancied being a teacher because I kind of fancied one of my teachers. Do you know those kind of (laughs) things? (laughs) So you were basically kind of imprinting on her. Yeah, all my life choices then were based on, you know, hello, love me. Um, No, like I know I'm being facetious. Relatable, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. So then I I dropped out of that and I went into sales. And I've just given you basically the run up to how I got in there because I went into sales. Then I moved down to West Cork. I opened a restaurant. I did that for a number of years. Uh, I got Yeah, did you not know that? No. Oh, I thought I told you that. Yeah, I went I down to West Cork and I opened a restaurant, just yeah. casually dropping that in. Yeah, I did. I had no job when I came back from a few weeks away in Thailand and there was a, a lease up in this restaurant in Clannacilty and I just looked at it and went, I can do that. Do you ever watch any Catherine Tate sketches from back in the day? Have you ever seen, you know, no, the one where no. she's like, she's an office worker who can do that. She can do anything. And it just, she lands herself in ridiculous situations. Like this guy, he's like, I need somebody who speaks nine languages immediately. Yeah, I can do that. And she goes in and sits in and cannot translate any language and is grossly racist. And it's hilarious. <laughs> so, Did you by any chance see now, not to totally sidebar, but mm. um, there was an Irish actor. I'll, I'll find the tweet and I'll link it in the show notes. But there was an Irish actor who the other day was talking about an audition that he went to for an Irish language Oh my God, I did. He's a jock it was. on radio as well, isn't he? Uh, oh my goodness, it was hilarious. It was brilliant. Imagine the fear of I got it and now I can't speak yeah, so, Irish. So basically he went for this audition and he had practiced the, the script. Basically he'd spoken to, I think his girlfriend at the time or a friend of his was a fluent Irish speaker and had, mm. had essentially given him the phonetics and he didn't mm-hmm. speak Irish at all. <laughs> and when he went in on the day, it was a one day shoot. They were shooting, I think it was a short or something. And they basically had to make do with him, even though the script on the day was totally different to the one that he had learned off. And they kept having to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. And at the end, his agent called him and was like, yeah, they don't want to pay you. And he was like, I never want to hear about this again. They don't have to pay me. Yeah. Like it just sounded like... I think did the agent say they'll only pay you half? And he's like, they don't have to pay me a thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And then, and then, and then, oh, yeah, go on. Oh, no. Then didn't it end that he was like, how did that ever go out? You know, he couldn't speak. And then it turned out when he watched it, he'd been overdubbed. He'd been dubbed, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my God, it was, it was such a good Irish example of, of like, Irish, sure I can do that. And then turning yeah. up and being like, no, I can't. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I like, I suppose, maybe I've done that a bit, but I did jump into taking out a lease and, you know, being very serious and having a restaurant for a long time with my and ex. Were you, um, were you, were you the chef or were you? I was front of house and then I fired okay. the chef. So then I was the chef. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, uh, <laughs> relatable. Yeah. Um, and then I eventually got a really amazing chef. And together we fought like an Italian couple. I think we provided people with endless entertainment. But we did have a really good product and it was great. And like, it's taken me a long time to look back at that period in my life and be grateful for it. 
because it ended really badly. We ran out of money. Celtic Tiger had gone. The crash happened. People didn't come down to holiday in West Cork for two summers in a row. And, and oh, we had of course. to close. So there was a lot of, do you know the way... I think as you get older, you look back at things and things that would have crippled you with shame. Now I'm like, no, do you know what? It was an amazing thing to do, an amazing lesson. And I get to go around and say, yeah, I had a restaurant in West Cork. Do you know? It was, it was great. Yeah, which is absolutely amazing. And I think, I think once you get re- slightly removed from the, I don't know, the, the kind of shame of it, mm. the distress and the emotions involved, mm. it becomes very different. It's, it, it's so different. It's so more something like I did all that when I was, what, 26? 27 and it was that being fearless jumping in and doing something new which I think you you get less fearless the older you get maybe but then at the same time I'm now I was going to contradict myself because the older you get the more you kind of are assured in yourself so it doesn't feel as scary maybe yeah yeah you know, of course maybe so then after the restaurant, I went back into sales and then I hated it and I worked in media and everybody kept saying you should be on the other side, you know, whether it's journalism or what, what is the thing that makes you happy? And radio has made me happy since I was about three years old and I could record songs I liked on my parents' big sound system from radio. So I was like, right, well, I don't want to, I'm too old to go and start in a local radio station and I, I want to work in the station that I was going to work in, which was Today FM. And I went and did the School of Radio, which is a 10-week course. Didn't do the course necessarily to learn a lot. I did the course to get my foot in the door. And okay, that's ex- yeah, of and course. And that's, ex- that's exactly what happened. So I got my foot in the door. I started as an intern. And then I worked my way up quite quickly to producer of two shows. Wow. Yeah, but do you and know... I mean- do you know you how? You know what? I was just going to say, I think that's Sorry. a very familiar story to Irish people. The idea that you do something to get your foot in the door not necessarily Mm. because you need to acquire those skills like you might have them already or they might like a lot of the time in journalism and media the skills required are not ones that you can learn in university or in a college setting you need to learn on the job but you also bizarrely need a like need a qualification in order to get in the door so Mm. it can be really really frustrating Completely. Well, like the thing is, I think my age had something to do with it in terms of going for me as in I'm an unusual intern. I'm 10 years older than every other intern was, do you know? But the other thing is that when I started producing the first show, which was the Paul McLean show, music based show, it was became really apparent to me that everything I'd done up to that moment was my training for being a producer. A producer makes something happen and has ideas and creates something from nothing and makes, you know, other people not makes, but brings other people on this with them. So like, I was like, oh, I've been doing this all my life. I just didn't know that it was called being a producer. And then it was just a matter of learning how the inside of radio works very quickly from the inside of radio. So yeah, I mean, which is far easier to do than from the outside of radio, but it's still kind of a baptism of fire, I would imagine. Absolutely. I was literally chucked off the deep end. And that was it. And I kind of liked it like that. I don't like baby footing around and I don't like I don't take my time you know I don't I don't I've no patience so I'm just like phew I'm gone so I was fine when somebody threw me into the deep end it was great this is kind of reminding me of like a really bad job interview where you're like oh, I've no patience absolutely no patience <laughs> I was in a cafe the other day and there was a man and a woman sitting beside me and I initially thought they were doing a job interview and now I think they might have been doing one of these very American kind of touch bases. I think maybe she already worked in the company, mm. but I thought it was a job interview. And he, he was asking her at one point something, I can't remember what, he was asking her, what are her favourite colours? Mm-hmm. What are her favourite holidays? <laughs> was it a and date? Think, 
It was no, because, because well, he, I was going to say no because he had a notebook. I mean, I hope not because he had a notebook. Um, but he, she said at one point, "I'm really not good at working from an office because I can't stop talking to people." And I was like looking at her, going, "You're saying wrong things." Wrong, yeah. And then she said at one point, "If I ever tell you I'm working from home, I'm lying. I'm not doing anything." Oh God! And I was like, "Oh my God, stop talking." Yeah, but now I think talking. she actually already worked there, which is wow. even more bizarre. Did somebody give her a major honesty pill or something? Like, you know, <laughs> I think it was. I think it was one of these um, kind of very ambitious and excited startups. Because mm. when he said, "Do you have any questions for me?" she said, "Are you pumped?" Oh, wow, what's and it? It, said, must yeah. be, it's, it? It just must be very culturally different. Then is it? Oh God! I mean, there there are so many. I I, I keep meaning to write about just the very small differences that are very striking and and mark me out even if I had perfected my American accent which, I, which my nephews can attest I absolutely have not <laughs> even if I could pass for somebody from the Midwest I couldn't pass for somebody from the Midwest if you know what I mean yeah because there are so many small little cultural cues and clues I mean I went on um I went on a date the weekend before last, this guy I'm seeing who's from the Midwest had said, do you want to come for breakfast with, with my, uh, my other friend? Um, I'd like you to meet him. And I said, yeah, yeah, that'd be really nice. What time? So we went for breakfast on a Sunday at 9 a.m. Like, nine o'clock in the morning? Nine o'clock in the morning. Oh, I know I had to get up at eight o'clock to do my hair. Like, it was outrageous. <laughs> and then I, like, like also afterwards, I was kind of like, well, now we've so much Sunday. What am I supposed to do with like, this is not... I'm not accustomed to this. Kate, how did you find, not, not to, like, we could talk about my dating life all day. How did you find working in media, as you put it, uh, a massive lesbian? You know, was, was there ever any issue for you in terms of kind of homophobia? Or do you feel like it was, it, you know, do you feel like it's more being a woman that makes it difficult? Or is it more difficult because you're a gay woman? Uh, I don't know, because I don't see that much homophobia anymore. I do think that there is internalized stuff for myself where I might suddenly put myself down and realize that's down to me having some sort of issue around my own sexuality. Now, I don't have any issues with my own sexuality. What I mean by that is, you know, like working with my colleagues and then suddenly feeling, am I being inappropriate because I'm in the bathroom with them? Do you know what I mean? Like they're my own thoughts, not obviously anybody else's. I know what you mean. I mean, kind of like the internalized misogyny that I think a lot of women experience when you suddenly have have a thought and then go, why am I thinking that about... Yeah. my own gender or yeah, you know pretty much in terms of the work I don't really see okay there are huge issues across society we know that where we're not equal and that's where feminism is so vitally important but where I worked I didn't see that so much because I worked with primarily an awful lot of women there's so many female producers they're not female producers they're just producers but I have a big <laughs> bee in my bonnet about being called a female DJ at the moment it's driving me mad do um, you follow man who has it all on Facebook no but it sounds like it should <laughs> there's a hilarious page I, th- I think it's called man who has it all I'll also link it in the show notes Brilliant. and he basically puts up like he sells merch that say things like male scientist <laughs> like I love like m- like male principal male DJ male and then all male up- DJ set that's the big one it's like because we get all female DJ set and I'm like mm-hmm. what do, you know do you get the all male DJ set yeah Groover Murder you know no they're just Groover <laughs> Murder I was actually I was in um, what's the name of that pub in Fibsborough that does the nice pizza the back page I yes. was there oh, one so day good. and they had um, a table quiz and the table quiz was space themed or sci-fi themed or something mm. which kind of would be straight would be right up my alley but actually I was rubbish 
but um, they had a musical round and of 10 musical questions, every single one was either either an all-male band or a, a male singer. Yeah. And I found that very annoying, but that's another entirely uh, that's, yeah. segue. It, yeah, but it like it's an important segue, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, it just I think people are blind to it and to sometimes to in our own selves are blind to it. But generally, my experiences in media have been really, really good, really positive. There have been some frustrating moments where, you know, the usual you're in a meeting, a boardroom meeting with people and your idea, you might have said it and suddenly you can hear somebody repeating it. Word for word, five seconds ah, yes. later. Uh, that has man, happened. Man-terpreting, isn't that it? Uh, or no, just taking on the idea, repeating it, and then it becoming their idea. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. know, it's it's not even, it's it's like, oh, well, I had this idea. And you're like, well, literally, that's what I just said. But anyway, yeah. so I've had that happen. But I think that happens in most walks of life. And my experiences as a lesbian, I do think that because I'm quite outspoken and because I will not toe a line sometimes, that that, that has hindered me a little bit. I'm not going to change who I am. I just think that it's not maybe palatable for some people because I won't just say the the right thing. I will often go, no, I don't agree with that. Or actually, I see this as an injustice or, you know, something would anger me and I would express myself around that. So I have seen that I think that's my queer culture. I think that's my lesbian identity. I think that is because I do go against the grain naturally, that that is sometimes not seen as playing with the team. And I think that that has sometimes hindered me. Yeah, I mean, that's something obviously I don't have the I'm not I'm not gay and I I can't ascribe that to my queer culture but that is something mm. that I found throughout my life as well like I think we'd be quite similar in that way. Yeah. And I know that that m- my parents have often kind of sat me down like over the years th- throughout my childhood and my teens and then in my 20s and gone why do you have to be the one to speak up? Yeah. Like, like let someone else do it and I'm like well nobody else is going to do it. Nobody else does it. It's like if it's like, not you know there's a great is it a saying um if it's not you who Oh and yeah, I like. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. There have been plenty of times, maybe in the last two years, where I've gone. It's not good for my mental health or my stress to take something on. And am I taking something on because I'm trying to prove something against myself? Do you know? It, oh, totally. you, have to, you have to choose whether is this coming from a place of insecurity or is this coming from a place of actually I see something and I think I can make a difference. You know. And sometimes in the past, when I was younger, if I saw something that you know. Yes, it could still be a write-on campaign or it could be something that I still believe in. But if it was coming from a place of insecurity with me, then I was doing it for the wrong reasons and it would take a toll mentally on me. So yeah, I try yeah, and yeah. figure that out before I wade into things now. Yeah, I mean, if if you're having an argument where you know the outcome is going to really affect you emotionally, that is something that you need to, I think, kind of sometimes stop. And I find that myself as well, that if, you know, if I'm really invested in an argument with somebody I know that it's not going to be as fun as, say, a discussion or an argument that I might have about Trump or about yeah. Irish politics or about Irish water or whatever it is we're talking about. If I'm talking mm. about, say, um, body positivity or something that I mm. actually have a kind of some personal hang ups about, mm. I know that if that ends with that person not agreeing with me, I'm going to be upset. And so sometimes yeah. it's not worth actually taking the leap. Completely. Like You, you mentioned... Know, a, sorry, I was just going to say, you no know, a, a really great um, lesson for me was during the marriage referendum. I had started working in Today FM at the time and I was interning. So, you know, I was just literally running around helping and making tea and bringing guests into the studio. And oh, so it, it, it was it was that recently as well? Like, Yeah, I'd, exactly. Yeah. Um, that was really, really, like, it feels like a long time ago, but I suppose just fast tracking. But David Quinn was one of the guests one of the days. 
And only that You can't morning. see, but my eyes are rolling so far back in my head. Oh no, I can see. I can see you. <laughs> <laughs> but he, um, he was the guest and I had to greet him, bring him into the studio, see if he wanted tea or coffee or water or anything. And like, obviously that's, you know, you're doing your job and I would never not be polite to somebody. But only that morning I had been on a radio show in the Northwest because I was helping run the campaign in the Northwest, basically against him. So I was meeting him physically in person, but I'd annihilated him on radio earlier that day. And I just had to have this big smile on my face and shake his hand. And I had hovered myself in as many badges as I could possibly find just to meet him and bring him in because I would do my job to the best of my ability. But the only thing I could do was like, aside from the very blatantly obvious haircut and lesbian kind of thing that I exude, (laughs) just put badges everywhere. So like the lesson that I learned there was just how amazing it was to take a step back and allow other people to, you know, whether it's take on the saying something or whether it's listening to actually somebody else's point of view and not getting rage filled. Like the marriage referendum was obviously difficult because it was grossly personal, but it was it was just a huge, amazing lesson to just do that in, in radio and to do that at the very start. Yeah. Do you think he knew that you were the same person who had been annihilating him on radio earlier that, I- earlier that day? I don't think so. And I suppose that's why there was a, a enormous smugness in my greeting him. I practically skipped <laughs> to exuding utter happiness and being like, you are really not somebody that I'm going to give my power to, you know. So but it was yeah, it was great learning to have to step step back. I can't wait for five years time when, you know, maybe somebody will listen back to this in a, oh, I wonder what was happening five years ago. And they go, who's that? But David mm-hmm. Quinn. I just can't wait. Um, you mentioned a, a little while back that you worked with an awful lot of female producers. Yeah. Quote unquote female producers, producers who happen to be female. Yeah. And I guess that brings us easily and boringly onto the question of the perennial question in Irish media of why there are so many more male voices on radio than there are female. And I wondered if that's anything. I'm aware as well that, that putting this on women who work in radio and going, mm. why do you think it is? Mm. Is kind of bullshit because it's not your decision and it was never your decision. And there, there are people much higher up who rarely get asked why they think it is when it's often women who work in radio who get this pressure put on them to kind of Completely. answer this question and solve this problem. Yeah. But do you do you have any thoughts about it yourself? Um, I've, I've a few, but I don't like I know that you could say something and it's generally just a thought. It's not necessarily a bona fide set in stone opinion on something. And I feel that might be a bit wishy washy. In my experience, I think there has been a ceiling for women getting on air. I think there's a ceiling for women in radio in general. I think that RT are actually really, truly addressing that balance. I'm beginning to see it. 2FM's schedule is predominantly female. And I think that like it's incredibly talented people uh, on the airwaves as well. It's brilliant. I also wouldn't take away from the men that are already on air because it's not their fault that they're good at their job, do you know? Well, uh, they're not all they're not all good at their job. They're not all hashtag, good, but, but the ones I, not all Irish radio <laughs> DJs. No, but the but the ones <laughs> I listen to are phenomenal and like I I'm very I I just love radio and I love I love I just choose who I listen to. I, cho- I I don't listen to people that would drive me mad. The other thing though, and I've often had this thought and I'm not sure how 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 to follow the end line or end game with it. Genuinely, I think that Irish listeners have been so used to listening to a lower frequency voice. Oh, 100%. And when we have a lower frequency voice... Hang on, hang on, hang on one second, sorry. Yeah. Chancy, will you go outside for another 10 minutes and then I'm going to be finished? I know you don't love me. (laughs) 
I know, I'm sorry. I'll be finished in 10 minutes, I promise. Okay. Okay, Rosemary, that has to stay in. That is just sensational. <laughs> I don't love you. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> Sorry, but um, you were saying that people are used to listening to a lower frequency voice. Yes, I was saying that I don't love you. No, I was saying, <laughs> I was saying that I think, um, so I was ruminating or whatever the bloody word is uh, about this. I have quite a, I have a deeper voice, I think, than most women do. And it's more palatable to the ear. And I don't mean that it is literally more palatable to the ear. What I mean is we have been brought up listening to a lower reg, reg, a lower frequency. And we're, it's what we're used to. So when something is outside of that frequency, it can grate on us or it can be jarring. And therefore, men have then got a natural step in their favor or, or, you know, they're already elevated because they have a naturally lower registered voice. It's why I see, like you see online on these awful, you know, if you go on boards.ie, which I have had a look at just for the crack sometimes, but you see people just giving out continuously about uh, female presenters. And the primary thing is you see some horrible troll being like, oh, they're squeaking their voice oh, their their way they speak or their clipped tones. And it is, I think, something as simple as sexism, misogyny, and then the fact that people are not used to a higher register speaking through a microphone. Yeah, yeah. So you know, you, you know what was really interesting. Um, have you seen the documentary The Keepers on Netflix? No, I haven't. So it's it it is an interesting documentary if you're into, I mean, murder, which is pretty much all I ever seem to talk about. But um, it's <laughs> I, it's about I'm not, this. I'm not into um, murder myself now. Well, I, I mean. <laughs> I mean, I'm not into murder like that, but like, I'm, I'm interested in the mechanics of murder. Anyway, it's about a nun who is murdered and then the kind of mystery around her disappearance and the theory that it's all a cover up for this priest who has been abusing girls in the school. But wow. what, what was interesting about it is it is, it is largely narrated by women and the people interviewed on the documentary are, I think, 90% female. Wow. And I started to watch it and it was only halfway through the second episode that I realised I was kind of waiting for a male voice to come and explain to me what was going on. Mm. Even though, I mean, I knew what was going on, but I was waiting for a male narrator to come and add, I mean, I don't know, gravitas, mm -hmm. um, kind of to legitimize what the women were saying. Validated, because, yeah. Yeah, because I was so unused to, I don't think before that I'd ever seen a documentary where there was, I think there was one man interviewed and he was a journalist who had worked on the story. And other than that, it was all women. So it was like nuns who had worked with the nun. It was girls who had been in the all-girls school who had been taught by her. And it's the first documentary I'd ever seen. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Where there was just one male voice in a sea of women. That's and a, it really struck cool. me. It's amazing, but it really struck me that like even I, who talks about feminism all the time mm. and would argue that like, you know, I don't prefer hearing male voices and I don't need men to tell me something is right or wrong. I was waiting for a man to come on the screen and say, what happened then was, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, that's interesting. And it's like a segue, I suppose, in terms of, you know, I, I've noticed more so in the last few years, I've noticed that when a man compliments me, I feel so much more validated. It's very strange. Whereas when a woman compliments me, I go, thanks, pennies. So I know it's, it's, it's interesting. Not, yeah, it's not the same thing, but it is kind of, it's like, why, why have I got some sort of, um, you know, okay, you could joke and say daddy issues, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, I do have, but like you could have, um, I don't, it's just something that I noticed about myself. I'm like, oh, so when a guy says something, I go all, ooh, that's nice. Thanks. You know, it's, it's, I wonder if, if, if that has to do with, like so much with the idea that as women and girls, we are, whether consciously or subconsciously, we are told that one of the most important things for us to do is to be attractive to men. Yeah. You know, so even though you obviously in your personal life, being attractive to men is not a concern to you. No. You know it's, what I mean? Like, yeah. well, I mean, it probably is in the same sense that I'd like to think that the odd lesbian thinks I'm cute. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? No, I Even totally though, get like, that. Like yeah. you, you just want to be perceived as as attractive in, in you I just know, want by everyone anyone, to love really. me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, we're just basically, you know, that uh, Roger Sanchez song where the woman's walking around with a giant heart. Oh yeah, back in the day, and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe that's me, you know. But uh, looking, searching for someone to just like me for everyone. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. The the stuff with with guys is kind of interesting because you know I have the moniker that I'm a terrible lesbian, and it's mainly because it's a joke. Like it's just the cr- for the crack, but it's uh, I. I love men. I just love them. And, you know, I find men so attractive, but not in a sexual way. And it's like, most of my friends are like, you are such a weird lesbian. I'm like, no, I just, men are gorgeous. You know, I'm, women are gorgeous. I just don't fancy as many of them. Do you know? I mean, so. I would actually think that probably makes you a better lesbian than others. Because if you're a lesbian, right, and you genuinely find men repulsive, Mm. then it's kind of easy to be a lesbian, if that makes sense. Whereas you're like, you know what, even though I love men and I can see that they're attractive, like I'm a proper lesbian because even though I probably could score a man, you know what I mean? As in it wouldn't cause you any hardship. Oh, well, no, you see, that's another story where I did and it didn't cause me hardship, but it was quite hilarious. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I um, I don't know. I think sexuality is a really fascinating thing because I very much fall onto the, if there's the Kinsey scale, I'm absolutely a lesbian. Sometimes go into the middle a little bit where I'll be slightly more feminine version of myself, slightly more uh, looking at sort of butcher women. And then I'll go back into the being more boyish version of myself and I'll fancy more feminine women. So that's that's where my kind of comfort levels lie. And then with men that I find attractive, which there are a lot, it's usually because I want to look like them. So it's different. Oh, okay, okay. Mm, Yeah. So So it's not kind of appreciating them for their own sake. It's more like, oh, he looks great. In the same way that I'd look at a woman and go, she looks great. Maybe. Like, why don't I look that great? Yeah, um, maybe. Tell me now, seeing as seeing as you brought it up, tell me about um, <laughs> tell me about the hardship of experimenting with straight men. 
Well, we've all see, been there. We went out for a Mexican lunch uh, and I told you this story um, and I hadn't really told many other people this story. So I um here we go. Uh, yeah, no, I <laughs> I had never really had any sexual encounters with men apart from when I was 15 and then they weren't men, they were boys. Um, and, you know, kissing boys at rugby clubs, discos and stuff like that. Um, and actually, 15-year-old boys could kiss, which was kind of interesting. Whereas uh, I had an experience um, a little while ago where I tried to... I just, I guess, okay, so like I, I'm 38 years of age and I've never had sex with a guy and I don't ever want to have sex with a guy or I never thought I would did. And then I just happened to be somewhere where there was a residence bar and I got chatting to this guy and he was French and I just thought, So many terrible stories I think start with, I happened to be somewhere that had a residence bar. <laughs> That's the uh, danger zone. Danger, danger, yeah. And uh, talked to this lovely guy called Matthew and uh, he was French and sure we got on like a house on fire of course we did we were both locked but you know uh, got on like a house on fire and, and also listen if you're gonna go for a straight man you would think a French man named Matthew would be a good way to go completely that's exactly you know what I mean the logical brain went it's like yes French, perfect you know, my my number one crush when I was a teenager was Eric Cantona that's you know I love big eyebrows and oh my god you know, massive man. lesbian case <laughs> <laughs> Eric <laughs> Cantona <laughs> I, Noel Gallagher and Eric Antona, my two biggest crushes when I was a teenager. Um, oh God! I, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, I'm strange, but um, yeah. So I had so I met this guy Matthew. We were having all the chats, and then the residence bar was closing, and they were like, "Look, you can we can bring you up a drink to your room." And I was like, "Yeah, grand." So we went off to my room, and we were chatting, and then. One thing led to another, we suddenly we were kissing each other. And I don't really know how that happened because I was off the level of drunk that you're kind of, there's steps missing. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. was definitely both of our idea. There was no any, you know, it was, it was just totally safe and normal. But he happened to be possibly the worst kisser ever. Um, uh, when I say I thought my jaw was going to get dislocated with the washing machine action, that's exactly what was going on. So and oh God. before anybody says, not all men, I am well aware that most people are... Um, are good at kissing and may- maybe maybe there's a woman out there for him that you know really enjoys the idea of her jaw possibly falling off most um, people I wouldn't say most people are good at kissing <laughs> would you not um I'm trying to think now of my recent well maybe 50 50 but I definitely wouldn't say most well I suppose I've only kissed girls and girls generally are quite good kissers do you know well I wouldn't know I know so I'm like, yeah, I have I have the upper hand there, I suppose. So this was a total shock to the system. And then I just thought, ah, oh, sure, I'm in for a penny, in for a pound. I might as well try this out and see. I would, you know? I would just like to interject there and mm-hmm. say, in future, if you're kissing someone, anyone who is a terrible kisser. <laughs> Don't go for it. The idea yes. that you would then go, ah, sure, I'm in for a penny. Like, no, okay, no, no, well, no. That's probably making more light of it. I think it was the thing of... <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to have an opportunity again and if I'm going to even ever want to have an opportunity again to see what this whole thing is like, this straight malarkey is heterosexual sex is, you know. So I think it was more kind of a, a repressed teenage moment of let's just see what this is about. And where I think I remember telling you this in the restaurant when there was very little people there, so the staff must have been listening, tried to get down to the nitty gritty. And I literally, there was a force field around my (laughs) vagina. (laughs) It was a force field completely. There was nothing happening. It was just not, it was like somebody had put, um, you know, like 
oh well it is a force field but like somebody had put a plate in front of me and, <laughs> you know there was nothing gonna happen and he just went you are a lesbian I'm like I am a lesbian okay au revoir bye bye that was it <laughs> <laughs> he was like that and I was like yes oh my god finally I needed a man to try and shag me to validate the fact that I'm definitely a lesbian <laughs> but you definitely never want to shag men but and I just I just laughed at my own body just being like this what the fuck are you doing sorry I don't know if I can curse on this but you know basically oh no no I, yeah yeah absolutely I mean in the like do you remember I know you were very drunk in the build-up to the discovering the force field um <laughs> was he was he in any way proficient at anything else um, not really. Mm. I mean, don't get me wrong. I know that like maybe if he was all like lovely and everything that maybe that would have worked. But for me, it just works as a really funny story as another funny thing I got up to in London sometime. Because whenever I go to London, something bonkers happens to me. And, you know, I very much was in control of what of, I might have been drunk, but I was just glad to have gone. Yeah, OK, this definitely just doesn't work for me. Do you know what I mean? Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like and we can joke about it. he was a really dreadful kisser, but like we were also just locked you know yeah and I mean people's kissing abilities do disimprove with drunken sometimes I mean well, sometimes this was, so, this was so bad that like oh. yeah, in fairness the more I talk about it, the more I'm like why did I continue but oh uh, I don't know I'm glad I did I wouldn't change anything for the world I just think it's just a really hilarious thing do you know I um slept with a man not that long ago who was who arrived on a motorbike and was wearing a very nice kind of vintage <laughs> leather jacket <laughs> And was a very good kisser, but to say that those were the extent of his talents. That was it. Oh my God. I was so, I actually just felt like somebody should confiscate the motorbike. I was like, this is such false advertising. <laughs> I blame Greece too, really. Oh God, yeah. Greece too. Oh my God, your man in it. He was so beautiful. I he was gorgeous. Yeah. And was Michelle Pfeiffer in that one? Michelle Pfeiffer, yeah. Oh yeah. my God. Actually, she's divine. I love her. Do you know though, like for you going out on the dating scene and like, do you just think that, because it's a completely alien concept for me, this, the straight world or dating guys, do you think that straight guys, um, they're just being, they're, they're not being given permission to get it wrong? Do you think that they just think they're going to get it wrong so they self-serve? Or do you think that they just don't know what they're doing and then they're too embarrassed to ask? I, and again, not all men. I mean, I don't really need to say that. I don't think any men even listen to my podcast. So, the, you know, the idea that I'm going to get endless tweets going, I can't believe you said that about men. It's probably... Can you imagine? Uh, Can you imagine? A, a, a mood do, point. This would be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> or Matthew, my Frenchman, suddenly oh. is on Twitter going, hi, Kate. And I'm like, oh, hello. Or my, or my cool rider, although he needs to, he should know. I should have told him. I think it's that a lot of the time they don't care. Okay. I think it's that... For so many men and for so many women in heterosexual relationships, the point of sex is for a man to ejaculate. Okay. Like, so when I worked at Stellar Magazine, I did a feature on orgasm equality, Mm. the kind of groundbreaking concept that both people should come during a sexual encounter. Mm. And I interviewed a variety of couples and the only couple who said that they both came every time they had sex was a lesbian couple. And they were basically saying, what do you mean? Like, it wouldn't be over if she didn't come. You know what I mean? As in, why would well, I just come and be like, see you later, I'm going to make a cup of tea. So there's there's two layers to that. So the first layer is that, yes, you know, I, for me, it's imperative. And I like, I love 
like I said, like I'm advertising myself, but I'm not. But I, I love satisfying somebody. That, that actually gives me a bigger thrill than anything else in the world. But at the same time, I think that if you have the pressure on you, especially in lesbian relationships or bisexual relationships, where you're like, you, you, both people have to come, there are times when you just can't. And it's nothing to do with the person who's who you're sleeping with. And it's it can be emotional stuff. It can be mental stuff. And then if you're not having an orgasm, then the problem can then sometimes be a toxin in your relationship. Do you know what I'm saying? Totally. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's this pressure to have an orgasm. Yes. Like, oh, I get it totally. Like it's like a an anvil here where we're like kind of balancing things. If you've got a generalization of the straight world where, you know, a man is, you know, the aim is to ejaculate and maybe not necessarily look after the other person's orgasm needs or, or sensual needs. And then you've got lesbians who we do have a bit of a track record of making sure that we're both having an enjoyable time. But the pressure then is, oh my God, you didn't come. This must mean something really bad. Do you know? So it's yeah, like yeah. the freedom I mean, to explore and not necessarily have an orgasm is also really important. Yeah, is 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 so important. And I think that's that's one of the kind of pitfalls of casual sex, at least in, in heterosexual, casual sexual encounters, which are mm. the experiences that I would have had, are that you don't get to that point of comfort where you're going, you know, it's not going to happen for me today. So don't yeah. worry about it. Yeah. So I think that that often when you're having casual sex for, for women as well, a lot of the time when the man comes, you're like, OK, you know, like I'm finished. And I think as a straight woman, we don't often feel empowered to ask for what we want or mm. like like men will kind of say things like, oh, I'd love you to. I'd love you to like go down on me, but you know, in, in, in coarser terms, mm. in a way that I don't think I've ever said to somebody, I really want your mouth on my pussy. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think I've ever said that out loud to somebody during a sexual know- encounter, unless I was in a relationship with them and we're at that, you know, we're at a comfort level. Yeah. Whereas men, I think, and I mean, porn as well has, has empowered men to feel like they can say a lot of things that maybe women wouldn't. And yeah, and maybe like there isn't a thing like for me, it's about asking, what would you like? I, I've always, especially if it's a new sexual partner, for me, it's, I don't assume to know what they will like. I will always go, what do you like? And give them permission to talk, do you know? Yeah. So I wonder if sometimes it's just as simple as that and everybody's just trying to be the best because we have this whole narrative around, you know, you must be a stud in the bedroom and you must know what you're doing automatically and you must automatically click with the per- with each person. Everybody's completely different and has different yeah, needs. Yeah, of course. Do you know? Um, and I mean, I, I often wonder as well in kind of LGBTQ plus relationships, right? Mm. Because you have already, you, the the amorphous you, have mm. already got over the hurdle or the idea that you're doing something quote unquote wrong. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That you've kind of had to come out to your parents. You've had to accept that you're not doing what you originally thought you would be doing with who you would originally thought you would be doing it with. That yeah. gives you a kind of a freedom to maybe be more expressive and be more... Um, um, take more control in a way that I think straight couples or like straight people haven't already had to do that if you know what I mean well um I do know maybe not no I do know what you mean and I think that you know okay so we've had to overcome societally uh you can overcome some hurdles because you don't fit into what the and I I people can't see me but I'm you know quote brackets what normal society is which is bollocks there's no such thing as normal but yeah, so you kind of have to be a little bit brave in your skin when you're coming out. But at the same time, we're all human. We all have the exact same hang-ups as our straight counterparts sexually. We mm. all have the shyness or the or the 
people in a china shop or the you know awkwardness we all have you know somebody might come within three seconds and go asleep it, it, I don't think that there's too much differences in terms of heterosexual and then the LGBT spectrum in terms of just experiencing sex I think you're still a human with your own you know insecurities your own worries your own whether it's body shaming whether it's that you just don't know what you're doing because it might be the first time I, I don't I think that, that doesn't specifically land on your sexuality I think that's no just human. but but I I wonder if you have already had to be slightly brave in order to come out, in order to defy society's expectations of you, which in five, 10 years, hopefully you won't like, you you know, people won't feel like they're doing something out of the quote unquote norm, Mm. but you've already had to use that muscle. That is that little bit sexually brave. That is that little bit sexually liberated to do something Mm. that you maybe haven't been conditioned to think that you would do. Yeah. That then when you get down to the nitty gritty of it, you're already that little bit more empowered than straight people maybe i mean maybe. maybe this is just 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 me feeling guilty and like my excuse for because i'm thinking when people have said to me what would you like a lot of the time what goes through my head is it is going to take too long to explain to you what i would like so i'm just going to say this is great and get it get it over with and like yeah. i've definitely had those thoughts so then maybe it's more to do with empowering yourself to be able to communicate that Yeah. And I mean, look, like I've also kind of come to the conclusion that for me, because I like I find it quite difficult to get to orgasm, Mm. I maybe I'm kind of like a demanding sexual partner. I've basically decided that casual sex isn't worth it because I'm like, it's too much hassle. (laughs) I would rather have sex with somebody that I can have this discussion with and tell them what I like and tell them what I don't like. And also feel like I can say, you know what, it's not going to happen today. Yeah, And for that not to be a big deal. And I, I feel like if I'm having casual sex with somebody who's like, I really want, like, I really want to get you off. You're just like, oh God. Yeah, but Jesus, the pressure of that when you Come say, here forever. Really because that, I don't know about you, but for me, if somebody said that to me, it would never happen. Because I'm so, oh yeah, I'm so like, well, it's, it's, it's kind of like two sides of the same coin. It's like, um, you're not the boss of me. And also, <laughs> oh my God, the pressure. <laughs> Do you know <laughs> So, you know, nobody's winning in any of those situations. I just I just think it's it's more important to have better communication and that it's okay to ask somebody else what they would like. And it doesn't have to be, you know, graphic X, Y, and Z. It could just be, do you know what? I just really like it when you do this bit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then like let's let's I mean this you could talk for hours about how much of a problem porn is having for generations of people now don't get me wrong i am not porn shaming i've watched porn i've watched you know i've tried to watch ethical porn i've watched queer porn i don't have an issue with with people watching porn i just do have an issue with the um utter misogyny and unrealistic expectations that are in and mm-hmm. off porn at mm-hmm. the moment um, i mean and- like i think we need to accept that we can't put the porn the porn dora back in the box no you know, so I, I think I think the most important thing is that we just keep talking about it and talking about yeah. what we like, you know, with partners, what we do like, what we don't like, even kind of what we like in porn, because like what I like watching in porn is very different to what I like I think doing probably, in real life. Would you not think I think it's really important that even if you're going to have a one night stand that you would talk about this, because that's where it will start to change. And rather than, you know, just one night stands, just giving up on them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I just feel like now I've done my work with the one night stands. It's, <laughs> fair enough. It's, totally it's fair up enough. to other women now to start teaching the, to start or, teaching in their one night. Like I've tried. But maybe it's not up to the women. Maybe it's up to guys. Oh, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys, sorry, you know? sorry. I yeah. didn't mean like women need to fix this problem, but I just meant, oh yeah, you know, converse. yes, other yeah, people yeah, yeah. can do that in their one night stands, but I've had enough. <laughs> 
Totally. Yeah. Well, no, I come back you. to me in six months and I'll be like, I'm back on the one night stand bandwagon <laughs> again. It's great. Not to now ruin everybody's, uh, I was going to say not to kill everybody's hard-ons by, <laughs> by moving back to, by moving back to the work talk. But you mentioned there that you're now kind of between jobs, between roles. Yeah. What's going on now and what are you hoping to do next? Uh, well, this is the thing. It's, it's, I literally am living in the land of opportunity and that's not a bullshit thing to say. I have a lot of doors opening up for me and I'm just kind of going. So previous, I would have just jumped into the next thing and be like, oh my God, you want me? Oh my God, amazing. Like, like a puppy, you know, like, oh my God, yay. Okay. I'll be the best. I'll be the best. I promise. I'll be the best, you know? <laughs> um, whereas now I'm like, you know, what do I want? What do I really, really want? Like the Spice Girls, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. I've wanted to present I, I want to record podcasts myself. I would like to present on air. I absolutely get humongous pleasure out of producing events. And I just see myself kind of following those three things. So stuff that lights me up, I'm going to be doing. And I'd imagine that will be starting very, very soon. I just can't say more than that. But um, yeah, there's 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 just doors opening up. It's, it's amazing when, when you suddenly hit a ceiling and when things go a little bit awry and next thing you're out into a new planet almost. And it's, there's a lot of opportunities. It's great. Yeah. And I mean, I think there is a kind of an incredible freedom sometimes in recognizing that when one door closes, okay, I can't do anything about that. Like, you know, I can, I can be upset. I can be, whether it's, you know, a job ending or a relationship Mm. ending, Mm. that's when I'm just going, I can't, I can't change, you know, I can't change that. I can't change that person's mind. I can't reopen that door. I can't go back in time. Yeah. So what am I going to do? Like, what can I do now? There's, it's what can I do? And then there's also the really lovely thing of, I think, being a bit older and being much more centered and grounded in myself than I've ever been in my life. So I'm able to make the opportunity for myself and choose. Yeah, I want to do that. And, and, and that door is opening. And I realize that that's a very privileged position because there are people who might not be, might be between jobs and they don't know what they're going to do next. And it's a very scary place. Um, yes. And I mean, but, also who, who, who might be between jobs with large families and dependents yeah. and, you know, huge mortgages. And obviously everybody's situations are different. And it's yeah. always like, I'm, I'm really glad and I'm really happy for you that this seems to be a kind of a positive phase for you. It, it is. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's colossally like what's going on in my life right now is amazingly change orientated. My job has changed. Um, my relationship of years and years and years has come to an end. Well, romantic relationship has come to an end, whereas our actual relationship is just evolving into something else. But like I've just moved out. So I've moved out of my house. I've left my job. A, a billion different things going on. It's it's a huge change. Oh, and mm. I changed phones mm. from an iPhone to a Huawei and I really regret it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually saw your I saw your tweet today saying that you you think you'd given yourself repetitive strain injury from a yes. from a too big phone. phone and it reminded big. me of when I got the Huawei P20 Pro, mm. which I loved and has an incredible camera mm. but it was like sometimes if I was trying to type one-handed basically the yeah. stretch between my thumb and my middle finger yeah would just give me such agony that's exactly what's happened so I've I've sold the Huawei and I've gone back to my iPhone and I'm going to put a new battery in it because that was just way too much change for a gal <laughs> I could not handle yeah, it yeah, yeah. Like, no even, not even I can't send texts this is ridiculous you know that's actually so funny that you're like listen I can take the job change the relationship change the house move <laughs> but change my phone and everything falls apart I can't even move my hand now <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly yeah so that's, that's kind of hilarious 
Kate, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me on the podcast. Where can you, people follow you if if they want to kind of see what's going on with you? Do do you want them to, or do you want to I'd maintain love that? A, yeah, I'd love that. Like, um, and also, like you know, I'm still very much involved in music as well. Like, music would be one of the biggest passions in Irish music. So, I have an email address: themeltedlady at gmail and I also have my Twitter is at kateBHDJ, uh, and my Instagram is Kate Brennan Harding. You couldn't have streamlined any of those, could you? No, probably. But okay, see. so so Instagram, <laughs> Kate Brennan Harding, Twitter, Kate BHDJ, yeah. and the Melted Lady at gmail.com. And I'll now, put these all in the show notes if anybody wants to get in touch with you. Fantastic. We well, see, the thing is that I did have Kate Brennan Harding as an email address, but I can't access it. So I've just given up. <laughs> and um, my, well, try having a Twitter handle that says Kate Brennan Harding. That is just ridiculous. Oh, it's too long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're right. You know, um, just just before we finish, I'll tell you now. I'll I'll encourage you to go into the offices of Google and see if they can fix your Gmail problem because my friend's dad couldn't get into his Gmail one day, and he called her and he said, "Hi, how are you, love?" Blah blah blah. And she said, "Oh, you know, I'm fine. What are you up to?" And he said, "I'm just on Bar Street. I'm just going to go into Google. Um, I'm going to go in and talk to your friend Andy." He'd met her friend in her house for like they were having drinks one night and he'd met her friend Andy who works in Google. He said, "I'm just going to drop into your friend Andy. My Gmail isn't working. I'm going to see if he can fix it." And my friend was on the phone and going, no, no, dad, no, no. And he was like, okay, I have to go. Bye. And he hung up and he walked into Google and he apparently said, hi, you know, I'm such and such. Could I please speak to Andy Murray? Like wasn't (laughs) Andy Murray, but whatever his name is. And he pulled and this guy was pulled out of a meeting, came downstairs. And the worst thing about it was he he fixed his Gmail problem. So my friend's dad then went home and told all of his friends, if ever you have a problem with your Gmail, just go into Google. They're very nice. (laughs) <laughs> that yeah. is sensational I love it so you could just you... stroll into the offices of Google amazing will you do me a favour yeah maybe maybe yeah I know it maybe dangerous uh, question to answer I, I just want an audio clip of your nephew coming and say I don't love you <laughs> <laughs> I, I will I will send you that audio clip I'll make that audio clip into a ringtone that Please everybody do. could download and play directly from their phones Kate thank you so much for joining me um, thank you guys for listening. If you like what I do here or you want to read any more of my writing, I've been writing a lot about dating and sex. So if you enjoyed that chat, you might like to catch up with me on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Rosemary McCabe with an A in my Mac. And from just $1 a month, you can read a whole host of my warbling, not warblings, uh, ramblings. Thank you so much to my producer, Liam Garrity, who is a star and is now fo- like producing for me across the Atlantic, doing some cross, cross ocean, cross, well, whatever, is being great from far away now. And you can listen to his podcast, Meet Your Maker, anywhere you get your podcasts and check out the website, meetyourmaker.ie. And I will catch you all in the next podcast, which will hopefully be out in two weeks. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.